Welcome to the Coach and Doc podcast, hosted by Coach Chris Cutcliffe and Dr. Hunter Taylor. Our mission is to bring you insight from the best of the best in the coaching profession. If you'd like to learn more about the work we do at Coach and Doc, please visit our website, www.coachanddoc.com. Thank you for joining the Coach and Doc podcast. Our next guest is James Mitchell, better known as Mitch. Mitch serves as team chaplain for the Tennessee Titans, working in conjunction with player engagement to help develop athletes off the field. Prior to joining the Titans, Mitch worked at Duke University as the director of football development from 2009 through 2018. From 2003 to 2009, he served as the team chaplain at the University of Tennessee, working with the football and men's and women's basketball programs. Before his tenure with the Vols, Mitch served as a national director of outreach for pro athletes outreach, working with both NFL and Major League Baseball. Mitch also has 14 seasons of college football coaching experience. However, I know the role Mitch is most proud of is that of husband, father, and grandfather. Mitch, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, man. All right, so. How did you get on a podcast? This is a great, (laughs) unbelievable. I knew you were the equipment manager. (laughs) Yeah, we've been, we go way back. So yeah. hey, talk to uh, talk to our listeners about what a week during the season looks like for you with the Tennessee Titans. Well, I'm very fortunate. I get a chance. I'm involved in a lot of things, so I go to all team meetings. Uh, I go to practice every day. My office is there in the facility, and so you know I have guys coming in and out each day. Uh, for our structure things, we have a uh, a Bible study for. I do a one on one Bible study with the GM once a week, Monday morning. And then I do a Bible study for the uh, coaching staff Friday mornings at uh, 6.30. And then I do a Bible study for the um, players right after that about 7. And then on Saturday, on home games, we have family chapel in the stadium at 1. About hour and a half for the game, we'll do a uh, family chapel for the players and coaches' family. They can come to chapel there in the stadium. And then Saturday night, we do chapel for the team uh, at the hotel. Travel, uh, you know, chapel still Saturday nights. Uh, but probably my most thing I enjoy on Thursday night, I stay with the staff and I'll stay there till nine, ten o'clock. And I go to each guy's office and uh, and I watch film. I can go home, so it's pretty cool. I keep my football fix up. Oh, yeah. But you know, you can tell if if I go by a coach's office and he wants to, he puts the uh, clicker down. That means he okay. He got something to talk about. But it's helped develop a relationship with those coaches, you know, because a lot of them, some of them don't come to anything, some of them come to bounce study, you know. So it's just a good time to man to develop some, because uh, they can kind of get left behind because so much time to spend with the players. So on Thursday night, and uh, I think that, that builds trust, you know, and relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. That's real cool. Mitch, you've been on, uh, you've been doing this for a long time. You know, and, on, and on a lot of different levels with a lot of different staffs. I mean that as a compliment and, and showing your credibility. That was not an age jab. Uh, I'm just curious. We're just curious about staff dynamics with someone in your role on how you approach um, being a part of, of coaching circles and, and teams, especially uh, initially. And so coaching circles are obviously extremely tight. And most of our listeners are, our football and basketball coaches um, and they take great pride in right in the number of hours you spend and, and everybody also is uh, has a hand in, in, in the production of the program. Can you kind of describe how you approach your role in the piece you play 
with great respect for the coaching profession and navigating that. You know, my role, I think that most important thing, I have two things that I try to do with before I do any Bible studies is to uh, build relationships and be very transparent uh, because I think that works better, you know, because I'm here to be a, I'm an outlet. I don't, I don't want to change. I want guys to be glad to see me when I, when I, uh, when they see me coming and, and so sometimes, so being transparent and then building relationships. So you don't build a relationship. And then the way to build a relationship, you got to spend time. Uh, and you have to serve. Uh, you'll be proud of me, Chris. During practice, I serve water to the D-line. And then after practice, I help the equipment guys pick up jerseys. You always got to take care of the equipment guys. You know, <laughs> we know that well. You know, so man, so I guess I could throw in that serving, you know, I know, and, and just finding finding ways to serve them is important before anything can be kind of talked from a, a step of, hey man, would, uh, let me talk to you about something deep and let's work on some life. So relationship and being transparent. While these podcasts are a blast to make, they're also a lot of work. And we want to thank BSN Sports and Endurance Therapy for sponsoring this series. With a promise to provide real solutions that make a difference to your budget, your athletes, and your peace of mind, check out BSN Sports at bsnsports.com. And having seen my players get treated by endurance physical therapy, I greatly appreciate the hands-on personalized treatment their staff offers to patients, giving them the comfort they deserve while they're healing. Please check them out today at endurancetherapy.com. That's great stuff. So Hunter and I, we've been doing a lot of research on thick institutions. And so one characteristic of a thick institution is that it will leave its members better off long after they're no longer actively a part of that program or institution. So could you talk about your experience with seeing players benefit from your mentorship or coaches for that matter, long after their careers are finished? Well, a great wise man named David Cutcliffe kept saying, I always used to say, you're supposed to leave a place better than you find it. And so that's kind of the way we should take it in life also. When someone meets us, man, we should leave such an impression on them that they should want to call us the next day or uh, want to kind of get in contact with us or spend some time together. What shows the after part is like the day I heard from a player I hadn't heard from in 10 years. I talked to, I have a lot of my old offensive linemen that still call and I got coaching buddies that I can contact that we stay in contact across the, across the country. And so the, the fruit of all that is relationship. You know, that's, that's the fruit of all of it, you know, but, but so much this, this day and time, especially in coaching things, everybody thinks you want something. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I want to be manipulated about something. And, and, and it's become so fast that we don't slow down enough, even in, in our staff, it'll be a relationship. You know, that's one thing I, I appreciate about Coach Hatfield, Coach Cutcliffe, and Harold Hort. You know, we did a lot of stuff together, staff, family. You know, Coach, Coach Hatfield didn't have any kids, but every third, I'm gonna say every third, the families came to the dining hall and ate with the coaches, you know, until we got ready to go back to work. You know, your dad was bad. You know, our wives could take any trip on a away game. That's that's not normal. But he and and so what you have to be, you have to be intentional about relationship this day and time. And so I think the fruit of all that, man, is just when a guy calls you and uh, you see a guy and 
and you see that he's not the same guy when you first he's not the knucklehead to, when you first start working with him and see that he's mature and 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 married and you know one of my greatest job I think at Duke was marrying Ross Cockrum. You know, and standing in front of him, knowing what he was a class A knucklehead when he first got to Duke, undercover knucklehead. <laughs> then to see how he had matured as a man, you know, and Thad Lewis, Thad Lewis still called. And Thad came when the convention was here, Thad came by and spent probably six hours here at my house and we just talked. You know, so man, that's that's where you see the fruit. I mean, when you see guys that are coaching now and I mean it's it's pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. Very cool. So just curious, is there someone you really respect that does your role in another setting and why do you respect them so much? Uh, that's probably because uh, we both started at the same time is uh, Chet William at Auburn. Uh, and, you know, and it's actually a little easier here because, you know, there's really no restriction what I do here. Whereas in college, you know, your head coach and AD has to want that. And so Chet's been doing it as long as I as I have, and uh, so man, I just went and spent time with him uh, down in uh, Auburn, Winter State, two or three days as soon as our season over with. And so he does a great job with the coaching staff. He does a great job with the uh, uh, with the players, you know. And, and sometimes as an older guy, you start to wonder, man, do I still reach them? You know, because that, that's such an age gap. Yeah. And but. Man, it's all about – I go from being like a big brother to being like an Uncle Ray Ray, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because at the same time, man, you know, Chris, the guys you got, the most important thing you can get them guys down at you and your staff, you know, your staff have a plan to grow men. And you'll win a lot of football games, even if you don't win a lot of football games. Because some of those guys will never go to college and play football. But they're going to be right around there in like Oxford. And you'll see them when they got their kids and they'll become a man. And I think in coaching a lot of times, it's getting harder in college because there's so much in recruiting and so much in keeping the ones you have and transfer protocol. And, and then this idiot box, this phone, you know, you got the top tick, uh, TikTok, what all that stuff is. And you got Twitter and Facebook. I mean, it's consumer to you. They don't get a chance to spend as much time they need to with their own player. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, and so, so I just I just think it's gotten so fast that we're losing sight of we coaching. They might have the word coach to take from one place to another. That's what a coach was that people use. But they might when we do that, we would say that we're coaching. We're trying to take that young man from one place to another. You know, and so uh, so man, I just investment in people, man. Now, I, I consider myself still a football coach. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really go to school for this kind of stuff. God had a sense of humor when He called me in this. Mm-hmm. And so, one of my mentors uh, gave me advice. He said, "Look, you're not gonna go to school for this." And no, but I really didn't like school. But I mean, but I, 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 but I'll try to learn. He said, "Well, treat it like you're coaching football, but you're just coaching life now." Man, it freed me up, man, to be myself. You know, it freed me up to be myself. So, that's great. So. Mental health issues, I think, seem to be more prevalent than ever among young people. You know, it's something that I've thought a lot about lately, especially living through a pandemic and and all the added stress, you know, on all of us. Um, So could you touch a little bit on your role and and how crucial it is in promoting good mental health, you know, with young people and with with the not always young people you work with, with the athletes you work with? 
I think the biggest thing, and I thought about that when I looked at that question, we have a, we have a team psychiatrist. And so I think me, myself and a player engagement guy, our responsibility is when we recognize it, is to get them to a professional. Because there's some things I can't handle. And, and, and mental health one is I can only take, go so far. That needs to be some professional done. So I think it's, a, it's important to have a plan because sometimes that person outside of football can get more out of that, that guy or that young lady than the coach that's in the building. You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, so I think from a coach's uh, standpoint, having someone, either the volunteer from the community, but someone that, that you can send that kid to to say, hey, I have someone I want you to sit down with, you know, and I trust them, you know, and, 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 and have some way to, to deal. Because mental health is real, man. Man, it's very real, you know, and it's real in all kinds of different avenues. And so I think having someone, man, that that's what they do, you know, because we can't, we can't read enough books if, we, if we're not trained for that. You, you understand what I'm saying? You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can encourage, we can encourage and we can you know, try to give, give wisdom. But man, when you're dealing with deaths with mental health, I, I think the key is saying, you know what, I can't handle this. I need to find them some real help. Well, and, and one of the things, you know, just from, from working with you in the past, Mitch, that I see you do, I think you've touched on it. You spend so much time investing in relationships with everybody in the building. It puts you in a, in a, great, in a great spot to recognize those issues when they creep in because you, yeah. you spend so much time with the guys. You see it in time maybe to, to get them to a professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, 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 and they'll go because they trust you. That's right. You know, the generation that you guys have now, they want you to be real transparent before they will do anything they ask you, you ask them to do. If they feel like you're trying to take advantage of them, they'll cut you out. And, and on this level, on the NFL level also, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they're, they're not going to listen to you. And they might be cultural to you, but they won't listen to you. You know, and so, man, it just, it's just it's important, uh, especially impacting young men's lives. It's, it's very important, you know. Uh, what's cool now, you know, being age I am, I'm close because these guys have families and they married. And I think I've married, whew, I've married about five or six of them already. I got three this summer, this spring, summer. So, uh, so that, that's what's cool now, you know. My, my wife gets a chance to be involved with the wives, you know, talk about kids and that type of thing, you know. So, so it's pretty cool. I'm still a country boy from Mississippi, boy. <laughs> hey, we were talking about that before. So where exactly, what town are you from? I'm from the metropolitan area of Hickory, Mississippi, population yeah. 500. Yeah, thriving. <laughs> right. yeah. You know, I, I, I keep a, a board on my, I had all uh, sports people, mark people to put me on a board. And I have the picture of my home, they're still there. That never, I never had an inside bathroom uh, running water. I, I had a picture of the dairy farm I used to work at in Decatur, Mississippi. I have a picture of a hay trailer, a putwood truck. Then I have my mom. My dad could not read or write, barely. My mom, think, dropped out of school, maybe ninth grade. You know, and that, that's a reminder of what got me to where I am. Mm-hmm. My dad wasn't a very talkative man, but he taught me how to be respectful and how to work. Mm-hmm. You know, which is some mission issues, because that made me responsible and accountable to someone. Of course. You know, and that's kind of missing a little bit now. It's kind of missing a little bit, you know, and uh, and so man, I will always be from Hickory, Mississippi. 
I don't care. I was speaking in Bangkok, Thailand. You know, uh, they said, where are you from? I said, Hickory, Mississippi. I was, at the, I was in the Orange Bowl. One of the greatest moments, Chris. I was in the Orange Bowl in 1987 with the Razorback. And they put the coach's name up across the marquee up there. And it said, James Mitchell, Hickory, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love it, man. Gotta love it. <laughs> All right, so you're kind of getting on to this now, uh, especially when you're talking about the values that you hold dear to you, that you learned from your family. But talk about, in your own words, what the ideal culture is to you for both from a staff standpoint and then from also from a player standpoint. Uh, it's not an ideal one. I think the ideal culture is what your pillars or your program is going to be. If you don't have some standards, you're not going to have a culture. And so your culture has to be like when we were that dude, we had four pillars, faith, family, future, and football. And so everything came from those pillars. All, all my leadership training that, that I, that coach let me do and all the character development, everything came from those four pillars. But if nothing was in those pillars, I'd just been grabbing in the air. And so the culture is the direction of the leader. What, he, what kind of foundation is he going to give his, I mean, for my company, you know, I get a chance to speak to a lot of companies, you know, about relationships and, 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 and teamwork. And, and when I go on their website and I can't find anything about what their purpose is or what their, so you wonder why they're in chaos, you know? And so I, I think the culture is what you design for going to be the foundation of your program. That, that makes sense. Absolutely. That makes it ideal. You know, and so, so it's cool, man. All right. So, Mitch, we're going to finish up now with a, a rapid fire closing round. So, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. <laughs> I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind, quick answer. No, don't, right? don't tell me that. That, that could be bad. But okay. <laughs> all right. Here we go. What was the last book you read? Uh, becoming one, uh, two Becoming One. Uh, so I'm a couple's book my wife and I are doing together. Awesome. Uh, athletes you've worked with in the past that you keep in touch with the most often now? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there would be a lot. I knew that was a tough question for you. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. I can't get no particular one. I talked to Jameson Crowder a week ago, so. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um Favorite venue that you've uh, played or coached in as the visiting team? Oh, wow. Played or coached in? Man. I wasn't coaching, but Auburn's pretty cool. It's a cool place. Auburn's pretty cool. Yeah. Most most memorable game from your career? Playing or coaching? Either one, whatever you want to go. I was coaching Savannah State College. We we game we played Fort Valley State. And we rushed for three hundred yards. Hey, O line guys, gotta <laughs> love rushing for three hundred yards. That's always a good day. Best place to eat in Nashville? Silver Sand, straight, one hundred percent Mississippi country. All right, I gotta look that up next time I come to Nashville. <laughs> I love it. Well, Mitch, man, this has been awesome. It's been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, man. No problem, brother. Mitch enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Coach and Doc podcast. 
we know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so we're grateful that you chose ours. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do, please visit our website. It is at coachandoc.com. Thanks again.